that crime of the month with Nicola Graham and Christiana Brockbank. In this podcast, we'll be diving into a story on a subject that's pretty bloody taboo, happens on the regular, and generally affects women way more than men. Yep, it's true crime. been sunbathing and I don't know if it's a curse of my family but some of us go brown like straight off brown and I go sort of pink first which then turns brown my mum's worse she goes pink and then just goes like a brownie red but it's just a horrible phase that I have to go through like that awkward it's like when you're growing your hair and you have that horrible bit where you're like "Mm, not you know I'm not sure on this lamp but yeah when I'm tanning, that's the sort of horrible shade that I go. Like picking paints, Dulux paints, maybe said Durex. Going from like light pink to then brown and all the shades in between. So it's been like 25, 26 degrees in London the past two days. We have sun on our balcony till about one o'clock and then I disappear off to the park. And I got a lot of sun on Wednesday. So it was quite red. Not painful red, you know, like when you go on holiday and you're like, I can't put my bra on, or I can't sit down on this chair. But quite red. Fine though. Well, not fine. People will go, skin cancer. I did sun cream, but I just go bright red. Yesterday, thought, sun had disappeared. Pop off to the park. See ya to my partner. Off I go. Lie down. On my front. Always quite risky on, in the park. I was scared that a ball's going to come and hit me. <laughs> or like a dog's going to run over and run off with my shoe. And then you're on your front and your top's off. So you have to quickly scramble to put your top back on. Do you know what I mean? You take your top off in the park? Oh, bikini top, yeah. Like, it's a quick clip. Wow. Quick unclip. Oh, I don't like tan lines. It's literally, I find it disgusting. <laughs> I find it offensive if I see people with tan lines. I'm like, or like, even they've got like halter tan lines. I'm like, take the halter strap down. I don't. I'm literally. You will if you ever saw me. I will full on turn my clothes in a pub into a sunbathing outfit. A bikini. Yeah. Somehow it's like heart attack. Because <laughs> I just hate. Yeah, hate any sort of horrible. I, as long as it's shoulders. Yeah, I just don't like any any tan lines on the shoulders or like back or anything. Oh, I'm quite bad at that. So doing that, a man walked past and shouted, "You're a bit burnt, darling." Which yeah offends me. Two ways. One, sorry, my body, my problem. Yeah. You should be commenting on it. And two, darling. Ugh, piss off. That's worse than getting hit by a ball. And the worst thing was I had my headphones in with nothing on. But I thought, as he said that, thinking I didn't, wouldn't have heard. I mean, there was not anyone around me. So, and, you know, so it's not like I was like mortified or anything. But I was like, I'm so offended in so many ways. Yeah. And it would be nice, wouldn't it? If like, because the social distancing stuff is hard. But if we have to social distance, you could like keep your opinions to yourself as well, please. Like. Yeah. Seriously, that park is cursed. I get moved on by the police. Oh, yeah. Shouted out by... Hoodlums. Twats. Yeah. He literally was as well. Oh. Absolute scrow. So, yeah, that's what's happened to me. Nice. I always have some horrible story. I know, yeah, you do. This is living in London. <laughs> Doesn't happen. Well, I mean, having said that, I still haven't really gone out of the house that much. Just for the occasional walk. But um, the only thing that I've done of any value, it's not really of any value, but um, I started another puzzle, but it's like a Christmas puzzle and I'm just not in the mood for it. Like, it's the wrong time. It's because it has been so hot, hasn't it? Like Yeah, I can't do anything in this heat. I've got a puzzle right next to me that I'm actually trying to complete because I need to get it off my table. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm like. Mine's here as well. but And I just keep looking at the little reindeer faces and the Father Christmas and just being like, I can't do it. 
I should have saved it. But I've come too far now where I don't want to dismantle it because I'm never going to do it again. Well, it's hard work as well. How much man hours have you put into that jigsaw? I mean, it's mostly the edge that's been done so far, but... Oh, see, I did do that. What? Tom was like, who taught you to do a jigsaw? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like... Because it's Westminster Bridge, so he's got, like, the buses and, like, Big Ben. And I just started on the bright things. <laughs> <laughs> like a magpie. That's not actually true. I read about that. But, yeah, so now I've... So, once I've done sort of the bright colour for, like, the buses and the Big Ben and the Houses of Parliament, I was then doing, like, the shadows into the water. And then, like, one of the last things I've done is the edge. And, yeah, Tom was like, are you mean? Like, what... Are you, it would be a lot easier if you do the edge. I've only just found one edge piece. And when I was shopping a few days ago... I um, had a couple of bags with me, um, you know, reusable. Uh, took one out and a jigsaw piece fell out onto the floor in the supermarket. <laughs> Where that came from? But yeah, so they're all over the place. But I'm nearly... I'm hoping to finish it tonight. I mean, it's lovely because his, his, his mum got it me because I presume he's been telling her that I leave no, leave no purpose in life. <laughs> so you must be pretty close then if it's nearly fin- Like, if you can finish it tonight. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're much further on than I am. Let me show you mine. Oh, nice. Yeah. Is it a wasp? Yeah, it is. So we've already done the the one. I've never done one before. But yeah, the we did. We already did the one that's like because you get two puzzles, and one is of the the thing that's on the front cover, and then the other is like you guessing what they're looking at, the other angle. Yeah, what they're looking at. And I've never done it before, and and I really enjoyed doing the like what they're looking at. But this one's less exciting. And really, to do one straight after the other was a mistake as well. <laughs> Like, I'm christmas out already and it's May. Yeah. Nice to know we're both busy, though. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever been uh, had a psychopath test? Because um, I think starting a jigsaw from the middle is probably, like, one of the things that they use. One of the signs. Yeah, I just, when he mentioned it, when he said it, I was like, yeah, yeah it's how you do a jigsaw. But it, I think it'd been so many years since I'd actually done a jigsaw, I completely forgot that that's how you do a jigsaw. Well, speaking of psychopaths... <laughs> Just my little segue. Oh, this is definitely a psychopath. We should probably get on with it because there's so much to talk about. Yeah, might be a bumper session. So this week we're going to talk about Joanna Dennehy. Um, I'm not sure, is it Joanne or Joanna? Because there's like different things all over the place. I'm saying Joanna. I thought that as well. A lot of the articles say Joanna, but then when I watched the I watched like a uh, like cheesy ITV documentary that's presented by the woman off Good Morning Britain, Susanna Reid, and they call her Joanne Dennehy, but they're not. Yeah, all the other places it calls her Joanna, but I mean it doesn't really matter, I guess. <laughs> Everything I'm reading, all the articles are Joanna. How rude of Susanna Reid to get a name wrong when <laughs> she's interviewing her. People will know who we're talking about, so let's go with Joanna. It rolls off the tongue a bit more as well, doesn't it? Yeah. So. Joanna Dennehy has the prestigious title of being one of the only only three women that have ever been imprisoned with uh, like a life sentence without parole. Um, and the other two are Myra Hindley and Rose West. In good company. What a hen do. <laughs> oh, I mean, can you imagine getting them, them three in a prison together? 
Yeah, she is crazy. She's like our age as well. She's a bit older than us now. Yeah, a tiny bit older than us, but like at the time, I think she was like 30, wasn't she, when she committed her crimes? Yeah. We should probably go right back to the beginning where it all started. Yeah, I think so, because compared to other serial, especially like US serial killers, who usually have horrendous childhoods where they're abused and things, her childhood was apparently very stable and very loving, and there was no indication that she was going to be a psychopath. She was born in 1982, um, grew up near St Albans in Hertfordshire. She lived with her mother Kathleen, her father Kevin and her sister Maria. Uh, by all accounts, like I said, her upbringing was loving, stable and no evidence of abuse. Her sister said that everything was fine and she did really well at school during her primary years. It all went wrong in her teenage years when she started to experiment with drink and drugs. I know girls like this from my school. I mean, not them that I know of have turned into a psychopath, but I think it is a thing. I don't know about you, but I, I fully, fully remember girls that pretty much dropped out of school and everyone would be like, oh, this, she does drugs in the flats and things. And it would be like, oh my gosh. But to be fair, a lot of the time you were aware that they were from like underprivileged backgrounds, like that, that it was mm. part of the, the... It was that cycle of poverty, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. So that's why it is a bit weird. The thing is, you don't really know how... Like, obviously people say, you know, her upbringing was loving and stable, but you don't know the full extent of anything could have happened. Well, exactly. I mean, anything could have happened to her that her sister wasn't aware of, or her parents weren't aware of, or, you know, certain people in the household weren't aware of, so... Or Maria's covering... <laughs> Poor family were there, like, slamming them now, like, there's something. But no, like, you're completely right. Anything could have happened. And But the, th- the trouble is, as well, you can't ever know what the truth is as well, because obviously she's... You can't really believe what she says about stuff. You don't, just don't know what the true story is. So, in 1997, she met a 20-year-old, I'm going to say pervert, John Trenner, trainer, uh, whilst out walking her dog. Uh, her parents banned her from seeing him, but she wouldn't listen. He did, uh, her dad did what any did father would have done at this point and told John that his daughter was underage and to stop seeing her. Um, they didn't listen. They decided to run away together and were later found living in a tent in the scrubland behind the family's garden. <laughs> That's the kind of thing I've done. <laughs> like, don't want to go too far. Yeah. When you're like, I'm leaving. I'm going to go and live somewhere else. And then you just go to the to the back garden and put a tent up. Yeah. A Wendy house. Yeah. I'll just hide in a bush and be like, someone will come looking for me shortly. No one does. Her parents found it threatened to move from the area. So Joanna told them that she'd only leave with them if John could live with them as well. Can you imagine being a parent and like that happening? Oh, I'd like get rid. Yeah, it's a tough situation. Uh, her sister Maria said that mum and dad were beside themselves. They started to chaperone her everywhere and grounded her. But John would wait outside the house or near her school. Mm. So in this documentary that I, I watched, he claims that they didn't have a sexual relationship until she was 16. Because obviously at this time she was like, was she 14 or 15? Yeah, 1997. I think she was 14, wasn't she, when they first met? Yeah. And it's just like, I don't know if I totally... Like, it could be true, but I'm not sure that I completely believe it if she was someone who was obviously advanced and taking drugs and drinking. Like, surely she was sexually active in some way. Yeah, and I mean, surely that would be the appeal to a 20-year-old lad. Not being awful, but just from what I've seen from life experience. Well, yeah, if they're dating. I can't see that he's just... Well, I can't see that he would stick around and stay if it wasn't a serious relationship either. And to me, that would mean that they were probably having sex. Yeah. Well, if you're living in a tent together as well, <laughs> gotta keep warm. It'd <laughs> be like every day it's Glastonbury. <laughs> the horror. Apparently she used to run away from home all the time, to the point that even the authorities became tired of looking for her and taking her back home. I mean, that's awful. 
that feels though like very much something that would happen in like the early 90s police then there was no sort of watchdoggy you know like oh that they actually had to do things right mm. a load of stories that you hear from this like all the Rose and Fred West ones and all this about how social services and police and just any any sort of anything in the system sort of let these people down and it sounds very, I mean yeah she was 15 mm. ridiculous just before Joanna turned 60 the police refused to intervene and she never returned to her parents home again her sister said that her mum and dad were devastated occasionally she'd get in touch with them but only for money I mean that's a typical parent-child relationship <laughs> I do that now <laughs> Uh, well but I'll still keep in touch I don't just call when I want money (laughs) so it was in 1999 when she was 16 and pregnant that she called her parents and said that she wanted to go back home Kevin and Kathleen went to Milton Keynes that's where they were um, to meet her and were shocked by her stay her head was reportedly shaven and she looked drugged it ended up just being another ruse by Joanna to get money from them she told them they'd only be able to see her baby if they paid her and they refused to do so. They're like hardcore parents. They are, aren't they? Very, like, they seem quite strict. Yeah. Like, well, not pandering to her. They're very much like, no, we're not doing this. Or like being blackmailed, manipulated, maybe. Which I think is a good thing because obviously she's like a master manipulator. But also you just wonder if, like, she'd had a bit more, like, I don't know. You can't judge these things because you really don't know what it's like to be in that situation. Well, that's it. Yeah, and you look at all the people's different, like, Marie, side of the story and her parents like I've read a couple of articles with them and like John's side of the story and we don't hear Joanna's side of the story so it's very mixed sort of messages on what actually happened and like John's very much like we find out that she Joanna's very much to blame with it but apparently he was abusive as well like it's very up in the air crazy so in 2000 millennium Dennehy gave birth to Cheyenne Shana Shan maybe she's Joanne if a child's called Cheyenne, uh, if that's the theme she was going for, the rhyming. Maybe. So she gave birth to Cheyenne when she was only 17. And then she had a second child three years later, which, according to John, sent her on a long downward path. Cheyenne actually has given quite a few interviews. When she turned 18, there was quite a few interviews with her. And she said that mum would just come home after being away for so long that she would have a black eye from a fight. She'd disappear for days on end, sometimes for months. She would come home and she would have cuts all over or she'd been cheating and she'd have love bites and she'd have to hide it with a scarf. I mean, it's pretty horrendous to remember of you as a child. Yeah, really bad. I mean, she sounds very sensible and grounded, her daughter. Yeah, unbelievably. It was around this time that people began noticing that Dennehy, well, began to notice Dennehy's growing narcissism. So she put herself before her children, before John. What she wanted to do, that's what mattered. So I think this sort of ties in with Cheyenne saying that she just disappeared for months on end. She was just going off and doing what she wanted to. She was an alcoholic, a drug addict. She would argue with John and would also self-harm, cutting her stomach with knives and razor blades. In famous photos of her, you can see the the self-harm, you know, the marks from self-harm on the stomach. In 2009, when Cheyenne was nine, John took the, both the children from the family home and moved to Glossop in Derbyshire after Dennehy pulled a six-inch knife from her boot and stabbed it into the floor. As you do. We've all been there. Can you imagine? I don't know if that's like the boot of her car or boot of her shoe. I think from a the boot, like as in her boot. shoe, like a Dot Martin. What six inch? Oh, wait, I know what six inch is. <laughs> no, we do know that you're not great at the old measurements. I know I'm not. No, I'm not very good at measurements at all. But you know that one. Yeah, I know that one. Everyone knows that one. <laughs> I mean, he was with her for 
He stayed with her for a long, long time. Although, did he stay with her if she was hardly there most of the time? That's the thing, you hear his point of view, whereas he sort of portrays himself as relatively angelic. He she, he did say, like, that she as well would come back and tell him about, like, exactly what she'd been up to because she was cheating on him constantly as well because she was, like, she had this sort of thing over men. And I think she had, like, romances with men and women, but specifically with men, she could really manipulate them because she was very charismatic. So, yeah, she she would be quite open about that, which is a bit uh, weird, like, to just come home and be like, oh, this is what I've been up to, like, all right, like, you don't have to rub it in his face. Yeah, I've been here with the kids. <laughs> and then stab the floor. <laughs> Like, someone's got to fix that now. Replace the laminate. Denny, he then moved to Peterborough during this period and fell into a life of crime. She was convicted of dishonesty, assault and brandishing a blade in public. This seems to be something she does frequently. And also went to jail for theft. She served time in a juvenile detention facility. She'd have been, I guess, 2009. How old is she then? Is she too old? Yeah, she's older than... Oh, she can't be. Because she's 17 in 2000. Why is she in a juvenile? That must be wrong. I know that she did serve time in a juvenile detention facility. So perhaps that's... Earlier. Yeah, earlier. It's weird that they put down that one of the crimes is dishonesty. Because that seems quite harsh. (laughs) Like, I've definitely done that a few times. Exactly. Totally odd lie. Different time then. Different time. I couldn't really find, I don't know about you, any information then until 2013. I presume it was because she was in prison, like in and out of prison during that time from 2009 when John left, John and the kids left. Yeah, 2009 to 2013 seems like a bit of a black hole. There wasn't any information, anything I read, apart from the fact that she was dishonest and went to jail. Well, as well as assault, brandishing a blade. And theft. Yeah. I mean, that was a fair enough. So in 2013, she met 48-year-old Kevin Lee in Peterborough. This is where she was living at the moment. He ran Quicklet Property Firm, which specialised in providing bedsits to people of limited resources. So alcoholics, drug addicts, you know, people... People that have come out of prison and need somewhere to stay. Yeah. Lee's business partner, so she arrived at the property firm and Lee's business partner, partner was there and was reluctant to give Denny one of the bedsits. Um, I assume he could sense that she was batshit crazy. <laughs> yeah, probably. But Lee wanted to give her a chance. So Lee gave her a bedsit and then also employed Denny as a decorator and, and enforcer to go hand in hand and also started a sexual relationship with her. Uh-oh. One of the ex-tenants claims that, that the main reason that Lee had hired her was basically just to intimidate people into paying their rent. And that was her main job, like, she was actually very scary. And this particular person, she's called Carla White, she lived in another flat. When she first met Joanna, she said, oh, hi, I'm Carla. And Joanna, like, said, I don't give a fuck who you are. And then she put her hands around her throat and started, like, strangling her a bit. And then Carla just got a hammer out of a handbag, as you do. <laughs> and then she says, and she tapped it against her cheek. I don't think it was a tap. It was probably a little bit harder than that. Yeah, so she said, um, this is Carla. She said back to her, I'm a girl that's got nothing to lose. And if you put me down, you better do it so I don't get back up. And if I do, you better run. Oh, wow. So it seems like a nice bunch. <laughs> it's scary, isn't it? Because I'm guessing this is just what it's like on the streets. Like just threatening death on anybody. Like you said, she was employed as an enforcer and threatening. She definitely did that. Oh, yeah. 10 out of 10. I guess, like, Carla White, she was used to that kind of thing as well, like having to stick up for herself, which is pretty intense. Like, just having carrying a hammer in your bag, you don't do that unless you're, like, a 
builder, do you? Like, it's not... I don't think she was a builder, but she just had a hammer in her bag. No, she's obviously someone who's, yeah, having to defend herself. I mean, we're at the point now where we should talk about the sequence of events. Yeah, the crimes. We're on the 19th of March now, in 2013. 31-year-old Polish immigrant, Lukas Slobowski, received a text from Joanna. The pair had met previously on the streets of Peterborough, and Lucas is thought to believe that there was some chance of a romantic relationship. He was alleged to have told his friends that he'd found an English girlfriend. The text invited Lucas around to Dennehy's flat, where the pair drank and chatted together. Dennehy persuaded Lucas to put on a blindfold as part of what she said was a game. With her victim's eyes covered, Dennehy produced a knife and proceeded to stab Lucas through the heart. Unable to dispose of the body alone, she called upon Gary Richards, known as Stretch, um, a known criminal and associate of hers. He was seven foot three, an absolute giant of a man. Yeah, built like a brick shithouse. Yeah, so definitely someone who you'd call for assistance. He was, by all accounts, smitten with Dennehy, so was happy to do anything he could to help her. This is like a running theme. There's so many, quite a few men end up absolutely smitten with her. Because any picture I see, I think, shit, she looks terrifying. But men are like, you'd when you got to know her, you'd do anything for her. Madness. Even her getting like this Lucas to come to her apartment, like and he was obviously thinking that it was like a relate she was relationship material and it's just it's so sad. Um yeah, she was just able to reel people in. Like it was like she was like magnetic from what people said. Richards arrived at the flat with an associate of his, Leslie Layton. I thought Leslie, for I've read loads of articles, I assumed Leslie, Leslie was a lady, but Leslie was not a lady, Leslie was a guy. And they moved Lucas's body to a wheel bin, wheelie bin outside a nearby block of flats. Did you hear that Joanna took pictures of this and then later showed a 14-year-old girl? Yeah. Apparently she stood leaning on it once you're like smiling, like smirking. <sighs> Why did the 14-year-old call the police? She must have. That It obviously came up somewhere because otherwise we wouldn't know that. I mean, unless you're scared. I mean, <laughs> seems valid. Yeah, I mean, I would be scared. <laughs> yeah, some, some maniac showing me a body in a wheelie bin. So, days later, Kevin Lee, who owned the flats, he was not aware of what had happened, but he helped Dennehy and Stretch, the 7-foot-3 guy, buy a green Vauxhall Astra, which then Stretch dubbed the hearse, <sighs> and they used the vehicle to move the body and dump it in a ditch at Thorny Dyke. So again, Kevin Lee knew nothing about this. He just helped them buy this car, and then Stretch and Dennehy, and, well, and Leslie later, um, moved the body. So just a side note, so that was the 19th of March. On the 20th of March, Kevin Lee confessed to his wife that he was having an affair with Dennehy. Anything that I found, his wife said that she just said to him, like, advised him not to get involved with someone psychotic. That sounds... I mean, I don't know if the marriage wasn't... <laughs> yeah, that sounds really reasonable. Like, oh, I don't mind what you do, but just make sure that it's not someone psychotic. This is like the, as long as it's consensual. As long as she's not psychotic, that's fine. I give the go ahead. There we go. There's the tagline. <laughs> as long as she's not psychotic. <laughs> Crack on. <laughs> Eight days later, well, nine days later from when Lucas was murdered, Joanna called at the flat of her neighbour, 56-year-old John Chapman. He was a Falklands War veteran and he had alcohol and drug issues. She called around with some alcohol. Jurors heard he had fallen on hard times. And although he was an alcoholic, he was known as a friendly drunk. The best kind of drunk. The pair drank and chatted together until Chapman passed out. I've put here passed out drunk, but 
Some of the articles I read said that he was also on drugs, so um, he was inebriated. Using the same knife she had killed Lucas with nine days earlier, Dennehy stabbed Chapman six times in the chest. Dennehy contacted Stretch and told him, oh, this is awful. Oops, I've done it again. Didn't she sing it like Alla Britney? Like, oops, I did it again. Probably. I'm sure she did. She probably had the red red cat suit on. <laughs> yeah. I know that Britney had her troubles, but I don't think that she would go that far, would she? Like, killing a man. Maybe that's what it was about. But, yeah, it could be. <laughs> So, again, Stretch and Leighton were called upon to help dispose of the body. This is, annoys me, not annoys me, but I, one of the main reasons why I think there's not more female serial killers is because it's physically difficult to move bodies and things. Do you think? I think it, I think it's one of the main reasons. Not, not that people are like, oh, I'd love to go killing people, but... If only I had a wheelbarrow. If <laughs> <laughs> only I had, like... A mini crane. <laughs> Yeah, mini crane to do it. That's why women previously have been like the poisoners, you know, the angels of death. It's not, I don't know, is it? Is that because of physical limitations? But any, cause, and, and then this, this woman is displaying how, when well, you don't have physical limitations because you've got two crazy guys that are willing to move your bodies for you. Yeah, it's not typical. So anyway, yeah, Richard and Leighton um, arrived and Chapman's remains were dumped in the same ditch as those of Lucas's. A photograph of his body, which was timed at 7.32am on the 29th of March, so that was the morning after um, Chapman had been murdered, was found on Leslie Layton's phone. I feel like it's just three psychopaths have met three met each other. They are basically providing evidence as well, so I think that they all knew that it was inevitable that they were going to get caught. Because why are they taking photo? Like, why do they need photographic evidence? Oh, I guess it's that thing about killers that um, like taking photos to look back at. It's it's like almost trophy sort of being able to remember rather than going back to a body. It's that sort of being able to go back to that period time when you committed the crime. Sick. Or is it just people not being very clever? Do, I mean, I'm assuming they must all think it's a laugh. They must have no empathy because he's obviously helping. Neither of those went to the police. So there's an element of... Like it's a day trip. Yeah. Or like it's a laugh or... Because it's not... Yeah, if he'd have contacted the police and said, I've got a picture, this woman's killed someone and then took it, then I'd be like, oh, but it, it just sounds like that actually they're all as bad as each other. I mean, obviously, then he's doing the killing, but this Richards and Leighton don't sound much better. And you sort of think, like, if she had said, oh, like, you kill this person, they probably would have done it because they were just willing to yeah. do whatever. Like, if you're willing to, uh, you know, dispose of a body and take pictures... If you're willing to do that, then you're only really one step away from actually committing the crime anyway. I mean, they're accessories to murder now. That's my worst nightmare, that someone will call me and then I'll turn up and I'll be like, oh my god, I'm an accessory to a murder. I don't know who would call me to do that, but I suppose if you read them, ran out and told the police, you then wouldn't be an accessory. It's only if you don't tell people. Yeah. So the next day, I remember all this. Like, it's weird because I remember all this happening. I remember them going on, like, that's not ruin it. I remember this, like, sort of happening and then all the news coverage afterwards because it was around Easter. So the next day, which is March 29th, it's Good Friday, they've just dumped Chapman's body. Kevin Lee went out, he went shopping um, in Peterborough and he bought CDs and Easter cards, so for his family and for Dennehy. Can't imagine she'd appreciate that. So he bought CDs for Dennehy, but he also bought CDs for his wife. And this is after she's told, like, he's confessed nine days before that he was having an affair. So it is a bit of a, an interesting relationship that they've got going on. Yeah. So on this day, Lee also had a chat with a friend and told him about his relationship with Dennehy and confided 
in his friend, that she wanted to dress me up and rape me. That's what she'd said to him. That's a bold statement, isn't it? It's a very odd thing to say. I'll certainly tell you that. If I went into that, I would not be then seeing that person again, which unfortunately Kevin Lee did. Later that day, she called him and arranged to meet him at her flat. Lee was was different to the previous victims because he had a wife and two kids. I mean, this is this is a big mistake, really, isn't it? Killing someone who had people that would miss them. Yeah, because I think like Lukash had family, but I don't know if they were in the UK. So no, and it sounded like he was sleeping rough. Oh right, yeah. I think I read somewhere that he was recovering drug addict and then obviously john was the same like he didn't have close family you know he was living on his own while she was actually living with him but the thing that's weird about this because she says that there's well you hear that there's a motive for this one whereas the previous two there's not that much of a motive like i don't know why she was meeting with that guy why she killed him no no so this is this is what comes out of the whole thing that she never really isn't that's the point really i mean i guess that's what makes her like other serial killers there's although they probably have like sexual motives and stuff there's certainly some sort of element of that i think she put on the face of i'm an enforcer and then took that that to the extreme to the point where she i i think she went to john chapman's because there was this is from what i read that he did he did owe he did owe money, so she did go round because of that. Because someone of his friends said that he was afraid that he was going to get evicted by her. But then I also read that they had, there was a shit like a sh- an open bathroom, and that he was like peeping on her. Yeah, this is what I heard as well. But it's still not reason to kill someone. <laughs> no, no, stab someone in the heart for that. I mean, it's all it's all very loose motives, if there are any. Like with this, um, the motive, yeah, it's hazy. Um, apparently, Stretch had told a friend that Dennehy was angry that Lee had not paid her for work she'd done and that he was harassing her. Um, so Stretch warned the friend she will fucking kill him, in his words, not mine. I feel sorry for Lee. I mean, I feel sorry for all of them. But... Because, again, it's like she's... She, I think it, the, the root of it is that she's got like a deep hatred of men for some reason. It's almost like she likes the attention and then she then throws it back or like explodes back at them with violence doesn't she she dressed his body in one of her black dresses like a sequin black dress and then he was dumped in another ditch um eight miles away from her first two victims once again richards and and leslie i believe helped the thing about when he was um he was dumped he was actually like face down wasn't he i think he had a black sequin dress on and also his buttocks were exposed so it was like a humiliation thing yeah so that's the thing that they think that that's what her motive was she just liked humiliating people she just liked humiliating men yeah he was eventually he was reported missing by his wife um and his body was discovered in a ditch on the 30th of march by a dog walker so many dog walkers find bodies like these bodies i know that would be my worst nightmare puts me up getting a dog once he'd been identified and police had investigated a bit dennehy became a person that the police wanted to track down basically interview in connection with his murder they began a nationwide hunt to find Dennehy and Stretch, urging the public to look out for the striking-looking pair. Striking, read, absolutely fucking terrifying. I imagine bumping into them at, like, Sainsbury's. We're at the 1st of April now. Once Dennehy and Stretch heard the body of Lee had been found, they fled, unsurprisingly. They visited a former cellmate of Dennehy's, Gillian Page, in Norfolk. Page said that Dennehy was excited when she saw a police television appeal for information about them. 
Denny he was jumping around in excitement and joy. Paige says that she was ecstatic about it. Denny he told Paige that she knew she'd be going to jail for a long time and compared herself and Stretch to the American Outlaws, Body and Clyde. I don't think they had sex. I don't think they had a relationship from what I can read. I think he was obsessed and smitten with her. But I haven't read anywhere that she reciprocated. So Joanna and Stretch committed a robbery in Norfolk and then they contacted an associate of, of Stretch's, Mark Lloyd, who agreed to help them get rid of the stolen goods. Lloyd said Dennehy told him, I've killed three people, Gary's helped me dispose of them and I want to do some more. I want my fun. God. I mean, if someone, if I get in a car and someone said that to me, I'd be like, just need a wee. Can we just pull up and then I'll be gone? It's just weird that all these people are just so happy to hang up that hangers on, aren't they? I do feel sorry for him because I've seen interviews with him and he, he's like, I don't think he's the like, sharpest tool in the shed. Did he just get dragged along, sort of, literally? Yeah. He really, like, have you watched this country? Yeah. He really reminds me of, like, the way that he talks. He sounds like Curtin. And I think that he was, like, severely um, traumatised by what, what sort of ends up happening and what he sees. Yeah, he sort of got dragged along, didn't he? Um, so the day after, they, the three of them drove 140 miles to Hereford. And this is where the famous photos that you might see, so if you Google Joanna Dennehy, there's a lot of, quite well, a few photos of her, of her with a massive knife, like, serrated knife, posing, like, with a top up and, like, licking it, and then outside on some sort of, like, balcony, like, very sexualised and mad. I remember seeing them and being like, oh my god, when this was all kicking off. The only other photo that you always see is the primary school photo that they always band about. Like, all the articles and videos, they, like, love showing a primary school photo. Like, from angel to demon. Exactly. That kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> I love, like, the storyline that she's so sweet and innocent and... Like, how could you ever turn into such a monster if you were that cute? And like you said, yes, something might have gone on, but this is, like, one of the only ones that I can think of where no one's come out to say. You know, like, Joanna's not said, oh, yeah, I was abused when I was a child, and they're lying. She did say that, didn't she? Oh, has she? But they, but because she's, like, basically a pathological liar, her family completely denies it, and a lot a lot of the psychiatrists and people that have worked with it don't think that it's true either, that it's basically fabricated. Yeah, it's not surprising, is it? So, yeah, this is, when Hereford, that's where she took those provocative photos. Lloyd said that she ran her hand down his neck and he said it was like being touched by a rattlesnake. It's weird, isn't it? Because I just can't... I don't think I've ever met anyone that's that magnetising or... You know what I mean? That charismatic. I don't want to say this really, but like, do you think it's a male-female thing? Like, that certain men are attracted to that kind of like... Dominance. Dominant, yeah, powerful. Sexually overt woman. Maybe. Like, like Stretch and Lee and... Lucas. He was enthralled by Dennehy. He said, if she had told me to put my head through the windscreen, I would have done. Madness. They drove around Hereford and Stretch selected a victim for Dennehy, seemingly at random. So this comes from Lloyd, this sort of, this is what we know sort of happened. She leapt from the car and Dennehy stabbed 64-year-old Robin Bereza in the shoulder and then jumped back into, sorry, like loads of times, not just once in the shoulder, and then jumped back into the car as he collapsed on the ground in a pool of his own blood. Bereza said that she just stared right through me. I kicked her and made contact. It had no impact on her. She came straight towards me. I ran into the road. I put my hand to my jacket and saw all this blood. The attack only stopped when a passerby intervened. That must have been terrifying. For not just for him, but the passerby having to intervene. I know. I get scared if, like, there's that. I don't know. If you hear, like, an argument in the street, 
I get yeah scared about that. Yeah, maybe it's as a woman. Though. Yeah, maybe. Then again, I don't know who the passerby was. Maybe it was a woman. Lloyd says that it was like a horror film. He said that she striked him like in the film Psycho, thrusting and putting her whole weight behind it. And then when she got in the car, she kissed Stretch on the cheek as if to say thanks. Yeah, again, Lloyd Mark Lloyd is really traumatized by this, but obviously feels like he can't say anything because he's in the car with basically a murderer. You scared for your life. I bet he's thinking, if I get out or try and leave, or probably, he might even be thinking that she might turn on him. I think he did try to get out, but the doors were like were locked. <gasps> oh, that's horrible. And Stretch was like, you've got to stay where you are, and like she just needs to do this, and then... It's so weird, isn't it? How they're just so accommodate. Like, well, Stretch is so accommodating for her. So she just needs to get this out of the system. I, like, punch a pillow. They're not bloody going stab five men or whatever. So Lloyd said that afterwards Gary drove off very, very calmly. It was as if they'd just stopped from McDonald's. This is the thing, it's the sort of the nonchalantness about it. The fact that it, they're acting like it's so not a big deal, whereas it's like changing life changing. Nine minutes later Denny he then ta- attacked another man, um another dog walker, fifty seven year old John Rogers, stabbing him more than thirty times. Both men were airlifted to hospital. I also read that one of the dogs was she stole. Oh yeah, she took it into the car. I mean, yeah, insult to injury, literally. But like that dog must have been so docile because after seeing a like owner attacked, or maybe it was just scared the shit out of it. God, yeah, horrendous. So the two men, Robin Bereza and John Rogers, survived their attacks and were able to describe Dennehy to the police. There's a thing as well about how um, she said like numerous times that she didn't want to kill a woman, she didn't want to kill anyone with children so she was specifically always going for men. Yeah. Like that that was a target. Also, it's really interesting that it, it, at this point, obviously Lee's been murdered and they know that Joanna was involved with him so they're looking for Joanna but when they go on the run, I was reading articles back from then so like on the Daily Mail and he his picture was the main picture so it they obviously thought he was the killer because standard you assume the man's the seven foot three monster <laughs> is the killer but he was just like lurch wasn't he like doing what she said the article was for the daily mail and was written on the 4th of april so at this point i believe they were still on the run and it said that gary stretch had been put on the most wanted list the UK's most wanted list after a man was found dead on Saturday and one of the one of, like one of the first lines was he left Newbury um, with his tattooed lover Joanna Dennehy oh so she's got nothing to do with it <laughs> no it was all written as though he was the it was crazy um, so Robin Bereza and John Rogers survived their attack on the 2nd of April so we were able to describe their attacker to the police later that day Dennehy and Stretch were arrested and the morning after, so the 3rd of April, the bodies of Lucas Slabovesky and John Chapman were discovered by a farmer, but no initial connection at that point was made between their deaths and Lee's. Dennehy was arrested on suspicion of attempted murder and detained under Section 2 of the Mental Health Act. So at this point, they knew that, oh, well, the two men who had survived had said she'd attacked them. Have you seen the video of her just after she's been picked up at by the police and she's at the custody office in the police station. Yeah. It's awful. She so she's chatting up all the police officers, especially like the male ones and like cracking jokes. Albeit not very good ones. But um <laughs> again, like everyone says that she's really charismatic and she's so blase about like I think she says something about like 
Oh, it's murder and attempted murder. It's nothing. Like, no big deal. Did she say it's, it's like it's like a Sunday roast? Or oh, yeah, it's like having a Sunday roast. Yeah. Just one of those things. She's, like, pulling her top up, isn't she? And yeah. Also, another thing that happens is that they ask her if she's had anything to drink, and she says oh, that she's had half a bottle of whiskey in the morning. So she's clearly an alcoholic, because she doesn't look that drunk. Like, you can tell she is a little bit, but... To drink half a bottle of whiskey. She's she's using it as... She's like a function. Even though we all know if you drink in the day, it's much worse. So having half a bottle of whiskey in the morning, you'd be absolutely trashed normally, wouldn't you, if you were a normal person? Yeah. Even in the afternoon. Yeah. Half a bottle is like a, a ridiculous amount. I'd be dead. <laughs> yeah, I think I would as well. <laughs> Stomach pumped. So they're arrested now. They're off the streets, thank God. We can rest. Everyone calm down. Breathe again. After, it's weird because obviously she's so chatty and friendly and everything, getting along great with all the police officers. And then immediately when she goes into the interviews, she just completely shuts down. And she's like, no comment, no comment, no comment. Like, there's no, like, banter or whatever. And it's like she's trying to control that situation as well. And I also wonder, because it appears to be a female officer who's interviewing her, and whether it's not like she has her usual way of charming the interviewer or whether it is just a case that she didn't she just didn't want to admit anything at that point so on the 8th of may 2013 Dennehy was charged with the murder of kevin lee and the attempted murders of robin brezza and john rogers connections between slavoveski chapman and the other victims were established as was Dennehy's relationship with both pathology found that the exact same knife had been used on all five victims the year before the attacks so in 2012 when she'd gone to prison for dishonesty, amongst other things. She was diagnosed as having antisocial personality disorder, and her arrest doctors ruled that she was suffering from paraphilia sadomasochism, deriving sexual pleasure from both giving and receiving pain and humiliation. She told a psychiatrist, I killed to see how I would feel, to see if I was as cold as I thought I was. Then it got Moorish. Crips get Moorish, not murder. I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's a tin of biscuits. <laughs> Moorish. <sighs> yeah, so I mean, this is certainly something not right. Yeah. Yeah, she's got severe mental health issues. Like, I think as well, so that's before that she gets diagnosed with that, but then after she gets diagnosed with uh, psychopathic disorder, um, and that's characterized by superficial charm, a callous disregard for others, um, she's a pa- pathological liar and just doesn't have any remorse. Uh, for the things that she does. I mean, that's pretty much her to a T, isn't it? Yeah. Sounds like quite a few people I've worked with, to be honest. As well. <laughs> Sounds like so, so many people I know. <laughs> so, whilst on remand before the trial, prison staff found an escape plot in Denny's diary. We were writing diary, idiot. Mm. Dear diary. Dear diary. I'm going to escape. Uh, the plot involved killing or seriously injuring a prison officer, severing one of their fingers and then using it to fool the biometric system in the prison. So because of this, obviously police were scared for their lives, so placed her in solitary confinement from September 2013 to September 2015 because of the plot. This then comes up later because she tries to sue the justice system for human rights violations. We'll get into that later. It's a bit like it's out of a film, though, isn't it? The the by like cutting off someone's finger. Like how many times have you seen them like take out someone's eye and use it on little scanners? Oh, like Minority Report. Yeah. Would that even work? I don't know if it would work if it was like a dead thumbprint. I don't know. Maybe it would. 
Sounds very high-tech where she is. Yeah, it does. So on the 21st of November, 2013, Dennehy pleads guilty to all charges. She goes straight to the Old Bailey for sentencing, where Mark Lloyd testifies against her, because obviously he's absolutely traumatised from his crazy car journey with them. Lloyd maintained that he was an unwilling spectator in the final two murder attempts, and he wasn't charged with any crime. And I guess because he helped the police in... Yeah. Bless him. On the 10th of February 2014, Gary Stretch Richards was found guilty of attempted murder. Leslie Layton was found guilty of perverting the course, course of justice. He also helped, but he's also an accessory. And he also had a photo of a dead body on his phone. But anyway, again, maybe maybe he helped the case, I don't know. On the 12th of Feb, Leighton and Richards were convicted of all those charges, including three counts of preventing the lawful burial of a body. I mean, I feel like Leslie got off pretty lightly. Yeah, I think so. So I think Gary Stretch Richards, he only got about 19 years, which seems like not a long time considering that like, he was basically her right-hand man. Yeah, and, re- and reveled in it. It's not like he was dragged along like Lloyd. You'd think he would get more. I don't really know how it all works, really. How they work it out. Doesn't seem fair, does it? No. On the 28th of Feb, 2014, at the Old Bailey, Joanna Dennehy was sentenced to life imprisonment. The trial judge, Mr Justice Spencer, recommended that she should never be released. He said that this was justified due to the premeditation of each murder. Dennehy is... Like you said, Chris, one of only three women in the UK to be told that her life sentence should mean life, which means that she will never be released. Thank God. Along with Rose and the late Mara Hindley. And then another interview with her ex, he actually says that he supports the death penalty for Joanna Dennehy, which seems... He's not got closure. Obviously, she's done some horrific things, but I personally don't agree with like the death penalty because I just don't think it has a place in civilised society. But the fact that, like, she is the mother of his children, I don't know how he... He shouldn't really be speaking on behalf of his children, because maybe they may be able to find some small thing, like, in a relationship with their mother. Because there's a lot of interviews with, like, the daughters of of her. Like, and they'll never forgive her. They've said that they won't, and, you know, for all her behaviour up until this event. And then, obviously, like, the trauma that she's caused for on their family and the families of the victims but I feel like you just can't write people off completely like she's obviously she has a a, like mental like mental health issues to the point where she she isn't safe to be outside in normal society but that doesn't mean that you should stop trying with people like that but maybe I'm just uh Crazy dreamer. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you've got to respect the laws of the country. We don't have the death penalty. We haven't for many years, so it's not something that's going to be brought back for somebody. And like you say, yeah, I don't think she can be rehabilitated to the point where she'd be let out. I also say I don't believe in death penalty because I think that people should live with, like, and think about what they've done every day. Yeah. It's almost like letting them check out early. Yeah, it, I think that too. Do you know what I mean? Like, no, you, you've taken a life, so now spend the rest of your life thinking about what you've done. And knowing that everyone, even if, like her, you if you, if you can't feel that remorse, knowing that everyone thinks that you're a piece of shit because you did these things. Yeah. Oh, it's heavy. It's got heavy. So it's very difficult. So after her trial, it emerged that Joanna had been on probation at the time of the murders following convictions for assault and for owning a dangerous dog. It was ruled that her probation officers had been given inadequate training. 
So she obviously wasn't properly watched. Dennehy was moved to Bronzefield Category A prison in Surrey. Bronzefield is the only purpose-built private prison solely for women in the UK. Fact there. And it's the largest female prison in Europe. That might come up on a quiz because everyone's doing so many Zoom quizzes at the moment. So that was 2014. In May 2016, Dennehy was informed that her attempt to sue British Justice System for breaching her human rights by keeping her in solitary confinement for two years had been uh, unsuccessful. Mr Justice Singh found Dennehy's solitary confinement was in accordance with the law at all material times and it had been necessary and proportionate because she was planning to maim or murder police officers. Two years later, August 2018, Dennehy and her girlfriend were found after a suicide attempt. Dennehy had slit her throat and the girlfriend had slit her wrists. Both women were taken to hospital where their injuries were treated. However, once back inside, Dennehy tried to commit suicide again, which again failed. I find it surprising that she is, you know, trying to take her own life. But when she was arrested, she was saying like, oh, I'm going to go to prison for a long time. And it was all this, it was all about like the notoriety of being like sent away for forever and I do wonder if it's again that narcissism about like putting the spotlight back on her well a lot of them as well it's a bit like Ian Huntley it's that sort of the whole thing with psychopaths is like you said narcissists they want control yeah if they lose control that's when they've lost it and being in prison have a limited amount of control from what I've read from her in prison she was always trying to be top dog through fear but if no one's interested in you and everyone's lost interest in you then perhaps you're right perhaps this is a new thing to know she's going to get the headlines and and to control the narrative her narrative yeah and if you if you put in solitary confinement where you're not allowed to integrate with the rest of the people like I mean, can you imagine if she was actually just let out in the general population? She would kill other people, definitely. I'm, I, I, like, I'm sure she would find some sort of weapon. Well, especially giving her a life tariff makes her more dangerous because if she knows she's never going to get out, then yeah, she can do whatever she likes and what's the worst that can happen? She's stuck in prison for the rest of her life anyway. It was quite scary. It's giving me shivers. Um, in 2019, Dennehy moved prisons to Her, uh, her Majesty's Prison Loan Newton in Durham. Um, I remember this uh, article. Uh, it was reported at the time that Dennehy had said that if she was sent to that prison, Low Newton, I'll fucking kill Rose West. Because Rose West was there. She That's how she looked at it. She was like, oh, she's like a top dog like me. She's killed. She's killed. But she, like, we're both notorious. I want to kill her for ultimate, like, I don't know, ultimate... Like, brownie points? No. I don't know. Um, like, kudos. Yeah. Just for attention, like, to say that she'd killed Rose West. I think, obviously, you're, when you go into prison, your notoriety and your sentence depends on where you come in the pecking order. So if you're going and you've got a life sentence, there's that, like, fear, like, oh, shit, they're, they're here for life. And also, if you come in and you're like, oh, they killed five people, or, you know, if you're going for murder and things, then again, you're sort of a bit higher at the pecking order. So Rose West, House of Horrors Rose, was pretty, well, the highest up it probably be. And I think she'd have been in there for years and years. She's probably quite respected by people and was quite established in prison. But shortly before Denny's arrival, West was moved from Lonington to um, Her Majesty's Prison, Newhall. People were like, oh, you've moved her because of Dennehy, but the police have said that, oh no, it was routine. You kind of wonder why, why they get moved around there. And also from such a a big, like, that's a big change from Surrey to Durham. I don't know if it's because, I don't know if it's constantly, maybe, is it a sort of a, like a mind thing, like to never let anyone feel too comfortable? Because Rose was apparently devastated that she moved because she'd been there for years and she was really sad. Oh, poor her. <laughs> I know you're talking like, oh, little old like 65. She's only 65. Well, she was there. But then you think, no, she was the evil bitch. When I came out of reading this, it was one of the only times I've read about 
a female killer and thought pure evil like even Eileen Wuornos that was like the motive was like money the motive was you know what I mean it was and then she had this you know horrendous abuse backstory and you know what I mean like every I feel like every woman I mean even Rose West if you read what's the book I've got by Howard Soons he does a really good podcast as well yeah crikey if you're interested in the West read that but I mean it is pretty if you've sense if you're remotely sensitive yeah it's 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 awful yeah there's a lot of depravity they're probably the most depraved serial killer i think that i've ever ever read about but rose was abused from a young age you know and exposed to sort of this sort of violent sexual depravity so again it's not i'm not making it's not an excuse but it's maybe a reason why it's something you can go back to but for Dennehy, there doesn't seem to be like maybe that's too easy maybe it's too easy to say or too simple to say, oh, this happened in this person's life, so this is why they turned out that way. But it usually has followed that pattern. Or there's like, they've had a head injury or something like that. (laughs) That's a classic one. Yeah, they've had a head injury, they've been abused, absent mother or father, that's usually the the reasons why. But it's just not with her, or maybe it is, but it's not come out yet. And like you said, yeah, I mean, she obviously has got mental health problems. Yeah, and like addiction problems as well. Well, she just seems quite clever and a psychopath. She seems to be quite intelligent. That's the thing, though, as well. Like, I would say, yeah, she does seem to be someone who is pure evil, but it's hard to talk about someone like that because clearly there's just something wrong with how their brain works and they have no choice in the matter and it seems as well like that's something that's obviously around the time when she became a teenager that something like kicked off whether it was like some chemical thing or whether it was something in her past that triggered it she won't know she she's a narcissist and a psychopath she won't know anything different how they see the world is how they see the world and they can't see anyone else's perspective i don't think she talks even now does she in prison from what i mean she writes letters, replies to letters to guys and things. and Still, like, manipulating men through the power of the written word. Yeah, but she hasn't really spoken about... or She's not changed the narrative of, I just liked killing. And, like, she's not come out and outright apologised. Like, I think she did say sorry. She said to her daughter she was sorry for the... Sorry for the attempted murders, but wasn't sorry for murders. Something like that. Oh, I thought that's what she said at the trial. Um, yeah, because she said that she was sorry for the attempted murders, but not sorry for the for the actual murders. And does she mean she's sorry that they didn't, she didn't murder them? Do you know what I mean? Maybe. Probably. Oh. She, yeah, she's very, very complex, and there's not much out there in terms of what she's willing to divulge or talk about, really, is, is there? I mean, that's the sort of thing, once people are put away, there's that sort of, right, put you back to them, it's you're in prison, don't want to deal with you. So there's, it's not like psychiatrists or anything, you know, or anyone's going to be going in there. Yeah, it's you've forgotten about. Did Susanna Reid speak to her? No, no, it's all like just talking about talking to the people, like the ex-boyfriend and yeah. Which is good in a way because I don't think it's we should really be given a platform, especially to someone who is like that narcissistic. But yeah, like to my knowledge, she's never come out and actually given really motives or really apologised properly for the, the stuff that she's done. Strange really, because usually a lot of narcissistics sort of serial killer psychopaths usually joy wants her in prison talking about yeah that's true yeah ted bundy that was panic though he was gonna get electrocuted and he did do it in the third person like it was a twitter profile <laughs> if i was going to do this <laughs> yeah but like oj if i was gonna kill my wife i'm gonna write a book about it but yeah so 
she's very complex. We sort of said she's kind of a spree killer, isn't she? Because she did it sort of everything. But maybe it was that she knew she was going to get caught. I mean, it does sound they were pretty sloppy. I bet there'd have been loads of DNA evidence. Mm, yeah, because it, well, I mean, they had photographs as well, like the thing. Oh, yeah. When they took their phones in. But yeah, because it was so, it was just over two weeks or something like that, wasn't it? The actual mm. time period. Um, and normally, to really be classed as a serial killer, there has to be like a cooling off period, which makes it sound like you're buying like home insurance or something. Have a think if you want to do it again. I liked it, but I don't know if I'm I'm going to do it again. <laughs> I might try and change my mo next time. <laughs> Whew, that was a long one. My ears are hurting. <laughs> my, Sorry. No, from not no, not from that. From just having my um, headphones on because it was so felt so long. I didn't mean to woo so loudly, but yeah, that was it. Was a long one. Thank you so much for listening again, everybody. If you are listening, <laughs> we've had some lovely. I've had some lovely feedback. Yeah, me too. Not just family members. Yeah. So yeah, thank you very much for listening. If you do listen and like it then please like and subscribe um on all the different which ways that you watch whether it's google apple i don't know things podcasting if you want to connect with us you can connect with us on insta at that crime of the month yep and um until next time goodbye